0: About two months ago, we had a lesson dealing with what happens when someone is added to the church, and we're looking at a continuance of that from a specific standpoint regarding repentance. And one of the things that we're looking at when we're talking about repentance as it pertains to that gospel message is how does that affect me as I'm regarded as one in or being added to the congregation of God's people? And so what we're looking at is a demonstration through the book of Acts, as well as understanding that concept of the repentant message through the Great Commission as seen in the Gospels. And we're going to see what happens when you focus on this message. That's it. Pure and simple. The reason why I say that is because as we looked at two months ago, and just as a refreshing to your memory for, for those of us who heard that lesson, is that oftentimes when we're trying to go and preach the gospel to those who are in this world, we give them everything under the sun except that pure and simple message. And there are going to be brethren that say, well, but isn't it important about whatever you want to add in, fill in the blank. You know, isn't it important we talk about institutionalism, marriage, divorce, or remarriage? Uh, if we're going to talk about um, the drinking and the cigarettes and just everything under the sun, all of that is important. But that's not what you read of when you read the book of Acts. That's not what you hear of in the teachings of Jesus himself as far as bringing people into his kingdom. You know, we talk about, from a standpoint of having Bible authority for the things that we do, and we want to give the, the pure and simple message, but this is a pure and simple message. And it's much simpler than what we propose when we have years and years of studies with someone when. They need to hear that pure and simple message that first time. There are many souls who are seeking this truth. Many souls who would listen to the truth of the gospel message. And sometimes we look at it from things that we see someone who is outside in this world that is not able to eat the meat, if you will, of God's Word. They're not able to digest upon it. And we put it down their throat, so to speak. So we're talking about this pure and simple gospel message, and more in particular, this morning what we're looking at is what does repentance have to do with it then? When we look at that Great Commission, how does repentance fit within that message? And I'm going to share with you right now, repentance is the core of that message. It is fundamental to the Great Commission. And we're going to see how that is this morning. So we're going to look at the gospel itself. Look at the account, and particularly we're going to use Matthew's gospel account because Matthew, Mark, and by the way, just as an extra on your personal Bible studies, Luke. Luke really focuses on the concept of repentance more than Matthew and Mark does, and John really doesn't deal with it uh, as far as he's concerned, but Matthew, Mark, and particularly Luke do. And so do that as a side study, but we're looking at repentance as given in the gospel message, and I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 3 and look at the way Matthew starts his gospel and looks at it from the standpoint of the teachings or the mission work, if you will, of John the Baptist. It says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and in verse 2 saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Those are the very words that Matthew chose to start off with regarding his, that is John's, ministry. Repent. Why? Why? The kingdom is near. It's at hand. And so that's the message, if you will, in summary of what John's message was. It was a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so when we look at that and combine it with Jesus, follow on through the rest of Matthew chapter 3, go on into chapter 4, read of the temptations of Jesus, and now what's the first thing regarding his ministry? Well, chapter 4. It says be here in verse 12 following, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message. He's not teaching anything different than what John the Baptist has taught. He has a message up until the time of the cross, you need to repent because the kingdom is near you. So the question that we might have for us is, you know, why? Why repent? And here's the obvious answer. It's a simple message. The kingdom of God is near you. If you want in this kingdom, you need to change. You need to be converted. You need, and we're going to look at all those things. What you're doing now is not acceptable. The way you're living. You know why? Because everything comes through me. And that's a message that is new to them. And it's something that is very different for many people. So many of those people that were coming out and hearing John's baptism, they were being baptized with John's baptism of repentance. And many of those that were coming as well heard him speak, like the Pharisees, and other religious leaders, like the scribes, they didn't come out to be baptized by him necessarily. They came out to see what this message of this man was, and eventually to condemn him for such. But that's the message of what We have here. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. So here's the reaction. The reaction is to this message. If the message is repent, look at the reaction to that. Verse 9 tells us. John said in verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, as everyone was coming out to be baptized by John's baptism. Bear fruits worthy, and do not think in verse 9, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, in other words, he's going to come and he's going to bring forth judgment. So you need to bear bear fruit worthy of repentance. That's the proper reaction. Well, that's the gospel message. If you want eternal life, in other words, if you want to come into this kingdom, you're going to have to repent. In other words, and this is where the gospel message brings this out. John doesn't say it in, in these kinds of words all throughout his letter, but it's definitely in harmony with the gospel message all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you must be born again. If a man is going to see the kingdom, let alone get into that kingdom, you must be born again. What does that mean? You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to change. Your mind is going to have to change. And that's the essence of repentance. You've had many sermons, I'm sure, where you've got the definition of repentance. To turn, to turn back, or to do a 180. Uh, to be sorrowful, to be regretful. Different context of that word. But we're talking about here having this mindset that is converted. It's changed from one way of thinking and living to another. You need to be born again, he says. Born of water and spirit as he goes on. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1-4. through He says, you know, as, as this child was used as an illustration, if you want to be great in this kingdom, you need to be converted and to become like this little child. And that, again is a mind shift to go from, and we were talking about the parent-child relationship this morning and how adults, and particularly parents with their own children, would ridicule them, even provoke them, if you will. Well, instead, you need to be like these children who are humble. And he used them as an illustration of the minds of these adults to be changed. And so if you want to enter into this kingdom, and if you want to be great in this kingdom, that's what you need. If you want to enter in this kingdom, you're going to have to die to your self-will. Take up that cross and follow after Jesus Christ. And that's what he was saying in Matthew chapter 16. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What that means is another reference to changing the way you do do things, the way your mind thinks, the way your heart works. In other words, when you're looking at these things, you're talking about repentance, you're making a change. That's the core of this gospel message. What I think we do often, and it's not wrong in and of itself, but it's too limiting. We look at repentance as a particular individual act and not this general changing of the mind to go from this way of living to that way. To go from Mitch doing what Mitch wants to do to saying, I belong to you, Lord. What do you want me to do? I'm living for you now. That's the core message that you see here. And the application of that core message, you can see through that Great Commission. And I want us to to note those things. As Matt read for us just a few minutes ago, he read out Luke chapter 24. And it says in verse 47 that repentance and the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Well, that's what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. So when you look at Matthew's account, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, look at his account. He says, go into all the world, make disciples. Mark's account. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Go into all the world, make disciples. Luke's focuses on the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You go into all the world, and I'm paraphrasing out because it doesn't say this in Luke's account, make disciples. What's the message? You proclaim repentance. The need for people to turn away from their sins. And to turn to God. That's the message, if you will. And so, as Jesus commissioned repentance, his apostles went forth, and what do you see in the book of Acts? That message. And that is the reason why when you read Acts chapter 2 and you go through from the beginning of that um, chapter all the way toward the very end, he gives a history of what God has done for Israel and his final words were, and this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you put to death, is the Christ, the Savior of the world. When they got that message that they were guilty of having put Jesus on the cross either by way of consent or actually by way of vote, if you will, whether it's from the standpoint that the Sanhedrin caused this big riot to the people being roused up and saying, yeah, we'd rather have Barabbas rather than this Jesus. They were guilty. And you know what happened on that day? When you read verse 38 through 41 of Acts chapter 2, when they said, men and brethren, what, what did we do? They were convicted that they were guilty of their sins. They need to repent. They needed to be sorry for what they had done, sorry for the fact that they had rejected the Christ who came to save them from their sins. And on that day, 3,000 gladly received the word it says in verse 40, 41. Remember when it says, be saved from this perverse generation in verse 40? 3,000 souls heard that message and did exactly what the apostles were commissioned to preach, repentance. And they did. They went from rejecting Christ to now receiving Him. From living the way they were going to live, whether it's by way of that Mosaic law, or to live in Christ where the sins are forgiven, which the law could not do. And so the, the apostles proclaimed it. In fact, I want you to go to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to spend a little bit more time here because this is not as familiar to us as Acts chapter 2. But remember in Acts chapter 5, the the apostles were expressly forbidden from preaching the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, after they had been preaching, they had been sent to prison. Angel comes, sets them free. The Sanhedrin finds out, you know, where are these men? And the temple guard comes into the Sanhedrin and says, those men, they're in the temple and they're preaching Jesus again. They bring them back and and basically scold them and, and scourge them, and notice what their response is. In Acts chapter 5, it says in verse 29, after they have been told strictly not to teach in the name of Jesus, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men, because the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him. God is exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It was one of the most amazing messages you can have if you're an outsider looking in. You know why? Because Israel was for, forsaken by God. Remember after they returned from captivity, 70 years of, of not being able to be in the land and worship God the way they could have. The return. But after the return, after some time, Israel goes right back into their old ways. Not necessarily of idolatry, but by rejecting the God who gave them repentance. And so you have these, quote-unquote, 400 years of silence where God has turned his back against Israel. But now he gives Israel the opportunity through Jesus Christ, an opportunity to repent an opportunity to return to God, an opportunity to again have fellowship with Him, but this time and ultimately through Jesus Christ. So the apostles proclaimed it. They make it very clear. God exalted His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, look at those various reactions based upon what we're looking at in in Acts 2. When the gospel message was heard, three thousand gladly received it. What does that mean? It means they repented. They gladly received the message because no longer are they rejecting Christ, but now they're following after Him. They're becoming disciples of Him. They fulfill the message of repentance. In Acts chapter five, when the apostles had spoken to the Sanhedrin and said, "We must obey God rather than men," here is Jesus Christ, who is giving you an opportunity. To re- To repent. They were pricked in their hearts, but not in the same way as the three thousand. It says in verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill these apostles. Same message. A message of repentance. There was an opportunity for the Sanhedrin to say, you know what? We're wrong. This Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah we were looking for. Instead, when they heard the message, their reaction was not of repentance but continual uh, rebellion. Or well, how about Agrippa in Acts chapter 26? Remember in Acts chapter 26, verse 27, verse 28, when after Paul is before Felix or Festus, excuse me, and then preaching unto Agrippa, saying, Agrippa, you know all things. You know what we've been doing. After he gives the history, King Agrippa says, you almost persuade me. To become a Christian. And he says, I wish that you would, in every which way that I am, except for these chains. What was his reaction? He did nothing with the message. He did not repent. He did not accept that Jesus is the Christ. He did not believe that it was such where he would have been baptized in the cross and followed after him. Those are the various reactions. What do you see in the message in every one of these things? I can tell you what you didn't see. What you saw was humility by individuals that accepted Jesus as the Christ. But it was humility based upon the message that that is it. Here's the message. Jesus is the Christ. He came to die for your sins. Now, what's the modern way of preaching? It's not typically this simple among so many of brothers and sisters in Christ. We spend weeks and months and even for some years on everything in and under the sun. And here's why. Because when we look at repentance and we look at it from a very specific that here is one thing that you have in your life, we have a mentality, and if we don't say it this way, this is how we practice it. Bre- generally, brethren, you've got to get rid of all your sins before you become a Christian. Then you can become a Christian. You think about that. And I think it's nice that we would get rid of all our sins before becoming a Christian. That'd be wonderful. I want to ask you, every one of you in here, did you repent of every single sin, practically speaking, before becoming a Christian? Not possible. Not possible for various reasons. Number one, you're weak. And you'll have weaknesses that after obeying the gospel, you would continue to have those very weaknesses. Number two, you don't know all your sins. You might be doing and living in sin that you're not even aware of until after you become a Christian and go, oh, this is sinful. And you may continue in it. So for those two reasons alone, I know that's not the case. What we have in mind is specific sins that we look to people in this world and say, well, before you become a Christian, we've got to deal with it. And brethren, listen, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I agree. We want to get rid of those things that we know to be sinful. But I know that there are brethren who have come into the gospel of Jesus Christ who have lust. We never said anything to them. Who have hatred. Who have arrogance. Who have all kinds of other sins that the the Scriptures specifically deal with. And they become Christians nonetheless. The message is you humble yourself and you are now wanting to serve the Lord. You want to give up that old man of sin. From a practical standpoint, we see that that doesn't always happen in that order. That we get rid of every single thing under the sun. I didn't know about immodesty before I was a Christian. But when I became one, I learned about being modest. Not just with my clothing, but with my life. And I repented along the way. I didn't know about homosexuality before I was a Christian. But after becoming a Christian, I learned about it. There's a lot of these things, brethren, from a very practical standpoint that plays a great part in this picture of repentance that I believe is a picture that when you are repenting, you're turning away from the way you're living and you're turning to Jesus Christ. It's broader than a specific sin. It includes specific sins, but it's broader than such. And so when we look at it from a practical standpoint, here's the question. Must I repent of every single sin, of all sins? before becoming a Christian? And this was a question that was asked me for this sermon. Well, here's the answer. If you know you're in sin, you've got to remove it. You've got to get rid of it. Obviously, when you look at these scriptures, you can see illustration after illustration of those who would do such. And we're going to look at some scriptures that bring that point out. But from a practical standpoint, then, that can be immediate. I can stop whatever sin I know that I'm guilty of. Now, I remember <laughs> literally the morning I became a Christian. That night, because I was taught of modesty from that evening, I gave all my clothes to my roommate. I mean, I'm telling you, the shorts—next I mean, we just call it underwear. That's what my—that's how high my shorts were. I Wanted to show my studly young body to the girls. That's my mindset was that way. So, when I did, it was very immediately. Gave up fornication, gave up drinking. That day I became a Christian. Not everyone's me. Not everyone does that immediately. From a practical standpoint, those who become Christians, it may take more time. It does. I know of brethren who have been in the Lord for 20 years still struggling with sin, since becoming Christians. It's not that they want it. They despise the sin that they have been guilty of. They still struggle with it. Their minds need to be renewed. And it's a lifelong process. For some, sins can be very immediately. For some, it takes a while. I've heard some of you in our Bible classes over the last four or five months we've been here. Share with me, privately and publicly, about some things you struggle with. By the way, as a parenthesis, brethren, those are some really good things for us to be praying about. When we're struggling with weaknesses in our lives, right here from the pulpit. When we can share with each other, intimately, so we can pray for one another, James chapter 5, verse 19. Actually, back up to verse 17, that we may have the fervent, righteous prayers, availing, because we pray for one another but that's another sermon. Here we are. We've got this process. When Paul writes to the church at Rome, who did he write to? Those that just obeyed the gospel that day? Or he wrote to a church that had been established for some period of time. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what he said. He wrote to Christians who had been Christians for of time. it takes time for some of the sins. So practically, no Christian has ever repented of all their sins. And we just use some of the illustrations of arrogance, lust, and hatred before becoming a Christian. Not everything. It'd be nice if it's so black and white and easy for us to say, "Yes, before you become a Christian, you know, in a the case than once I've repented, now I'm good enough to become a Christian." And that was the question that was asked me on that list. Can I ever be good enough? And of course, no, that's why you need the blood of Jesus. Do you need to repent of sins you know all of? Yes, you better. That's why it's called sin. And those who walk in sin do not walk in the light. But walking in sin is a mindset that says, I'm walking this way, away from the Lord, versus I'm walking this way, I'm struggling I've got things that I've got to work on, but Lord, please help me, strengthen me. I'm praying to you for your guidance. I'm praying for your cleansing blood. But I'm trying to deal with these temptations in my life. That's the gospel message. That's what God wants from us. And I've heard, brethren, oh man, that sister in Christ, that brother in Christ, they're always coming forward. I don't know if I can believe it anymore. I've heard it myself. And that's why so many brethren dare not go forward anymore. When we look at it from a practical standpoint, we come in thanking God for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that I no longer want to live my life. I want to live the life for me that has been given by my God. That's a big difference. Well, the last question I was asked was, well, can I be saved without repentance? And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, you cannot be. Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And He says, unless you repent, you will die in your sins. In other words, you know those people that died under this circumstance, were they worse sinners than these others? No. And unless you repent, you're going to die in your sins. You're no better because this calamity didn't come upon you. Jesus made it clear. He spoke to rebellious individuals. Unless you repent, you will die in your sins. Those who rejected Christ, He said, unless you repent, you will die in your sins. Very clear message. The mind, as I said already, takes time in some instances on various matters i mean there's there's things that I know of brethren who have gone for years going, "Well, I believe this is okay to do. I believe it 's okay to gamble it 's just my free money i 'm not doing anything real bad with it, and other brethren saying, well years later' I'm like no way That's that 's just not the way to live for the Lord they're brethren with jobs well, that job is acceptable. I can do that and then these same brethren, as they go on in their life, whether it's a day, a week, a month, a year, or decades later, going, I, I shouldn't be doing this. And they're making that change. They want to serve the Lord. What we want is we want them to be just like me. I've done all my repenting, right? I've got it down. But I don't. The mind takes time and And so we need to repent. I want you to look. In particular, in Luke 13, in verse 6 following. After Jesus had spoken of that repentance and the need for such, look at what he says here in this text. A very good passage for us. Jesus spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Do you know that uh, sometimes we're like the keeper? But he answered. Whoever this certain man was, he answered. And said to him, sir, let it alone this year also, give me one more year with it. Until I dig around it and I fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, great. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. I know my early years, particularly preaching, I used to have this mindset that said, you know, if I can do it, everyone can, right? I mean, i put away my sins very quickly. I mean, instantaneous in many cases. And so if that person loved the Lord like I love the Lord, they can do it too. And so when there was a situation where some brethren were were struggling with some sin or whatever their situation was, I remember when, as a congregation of God's people, and I would be in this group going, Mark that brother. Put him away right now. We've dealt with it long enough. It's been at least a few weeks. And I had wonderful elders. Mitch, calm down. Have some patience. Yeah, but, you know, they're still in sin, and we've got to deal with sin. Yes, Mitch, slow down. Give it a little more time. We may gain our brother. And I've come to appreciate that. You know, it, you have two sides. The ones that are dealing with it right now, they love the Lord and they cannot stand sin. You suppose these brethren can? The brethren are patient. You think they can, like, oh yeah, sin is good. We should con- let this continue? That's not the case. But I'm so grateful that God is long-suffering toward us. God is long-suffering because while He does not want us to perish, He wants us to come to repentance. He gives us time. And while there is breath in us, there is time. Some of Well, Mitch, what about casting your pearls towards swine? Why, why just continue on? Let God have His time. God is going to be the final judge. In the meantime, what can we do? Can we fertilize? Can we dig? There's got to be a time of wisdom, brethren, I know there's come a time when we're going to have to put away from us sin. There's no doubt, and here's when that happens, when it's flamboyant and outright rebellion. There's no, there's no need to wait, but that's not what we're dealing with here. Here is something, it's not bearing fruit. It's not, it's not bearing bad fruit, it's just not bearing fruit. Do what you can so that it does bear fruit. And that's what He's given. And so in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, any man who brings this sinner back from his trespasses, you cover a great multitude of sins when you do that. There's a soul that had allowed, been allowed that chance to repent. And that's what you see here. I want you to stop and think about these points here. I believe when you read the Gospels, Read it specifically. Read it technically. You're going to find it general. When these individuals, Matthew chapter 3, remember when when, uh, John the Baptist was telling people to come and repent? Tax collectors came. Well, what shall we do? Well, don't be fraudulent. Soldiers came up. What shall we do? Here's how you behave. I want you to know he never said, you've got to stop being a tax collector, you've got to stop being a soldier, because there are some among you that believe that's to be sinful. He says, here's how you live. And I believe those individuals that were baptized, that came to John's baptism, they understood. When they came, they came confessing their sins. When we come, we come confessing that Jesus is the Christ, and now I'm willing to live for Him. God has graciously given us, his kingdom. And when we come into this kingdom, repentance is now I'm living like one in the kingdom. That's the repentance. And as a result, as my life continues on, I'm going to put away that man of flesh. I'm going to put him to death. That's a lifelong behavior of repentance. And when there are specific things that I know that are sinful against God, that are belonging to the flesh, brethren, I've got to repent. I've got to put that sin away. Stop walking in that darkness. Because if you don't, you lose your soul. And for some of us, it may already be gone. Because we walk in darkness and not in the light. Because we have not repented, but we choose to live the way I want to live. That already is a life contrary to the will of God. And so here's what we need to do. We need to repent. Repent. That's required for coming in the kingdom of God. That's what required when you're added to the Lord's church. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to have the remission of forgiveness of sins. Brethren, it's a good word. It shows humility in our life. That last slide I want to talk about is a point that even Jim made in our Bible class. And I remember this from two, three, four years ago with our children. Jim was talking about And apologizing to your children when you do wrong as a parent. And I remember being in tears in our living room in in Fayetteville, Georgia, Julie and I, because frankly, we could do a better job of raising our children. And we apologize. I don't know, girls, if you ever remember that. I do. That's a genuine repentance that we need. It's humility of saying, I don't want to live the way I want. This is my course. I want to live the course that God has given me. I'm in His kingdom. What's His will? I want to glorify Him.